0: word and we are here to study the book of Daniel and we are just at the end of chapter six kind of wrapping up chapter six and then picking it up in chapter seven uh starting in verse one before we do anything i like to just give you the little backstory i call it what's going on in the book of Daniel there's it's 12 chapters very evenly divided the first six chapters are the life and times of Daniel It's kind of a biography in a way of what he did from his teen years to uh, when he was much older in Babylon. The backstory is that Daniel and some other young men from Israel have been taken as hostages into Babylon. Babylon has taken over Israel and most of the world in that area, um, the kingdom of Babylon. Israel is being punished, that's why they are, um, They've been taken over by the Babylonian empire because they've had uh, many chances. They've had so much prophecy and so much proof and the scriptures and the prophets themselves. And yet they continue to disobey God. So God punished them and their country was taken over. Daniel is there with his friends and they will not compromise. That's one of the themes of this book. Besides another theme, which is that God is in control of everything. You heard me say that earlier. Daniel and his friends will not compromise, even though there's great temptation uh, to compromise. Uh, Daniel has an ability to interpret dreams and visions, which he has been doing for other people, but in chapter 7, he's going to start doing it, uh, and the the dreams and visions are going to come to him. Chapter 7 is a major division in this book, where it turns from this biography of Daniel to It turns into almost like the book of Revelation of the Old Testament. In fact, you can't understand the book of Revelation unless you understand seven through uh, 12 of Daniel, chapters seven through 12. So Daniel interprets a dream, one in particular for King Nebuchadnezzar, where King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this giant statue with a head of gold and then various other metals, silver and then bronze and then iron in the legs and then the feet are iron mixed with clay. And a stone comes and flies in and hits the feet and blows the whole statue up. And there's just dust. There's nothing left. Nebuchadnezzar asks for the dream to be interpreted. Daniel explains these are kingdoms and that he and the Babylonian kingdom are the head of gold. I'm reviewing this especially because chapter 2 is where that happens. Chapter 7 is the same story retold but you're going to look at it and just say, boy, it doesn't seem that similar to me. The reason is chapter two is from man's view. Look at how glorious these kingdoms are, a head of gold, silver, bronze, uh, great splendor, and it's awesome. It's a big statue. In chapter seven, God shows Daniel those same kingdoms from his perspective, and they look totally different but i'll show you why it's the same thing restated but with god's view in mind um let's see so he's about to daniel is about to get a bunch of dreams before we get to chapter seven we're going to end with the end of chapter six pick it up right around verse um let's see 25 26 27 right in there but before we do let me just say the when you get to prophecy how many here have uh, and those of you online can raise your hand too. How many have been to a Bible study or on your own studied the book of Revelation? Anybody here? Okay. It's pretty tough, isn't it? Seven heads and 10 horns, and you go, wait, what now? It's not your typical once upon a time. There was a guy named Daniel, and that's the first six chap- six chapters. Not from now on. We're going to get into that symbolism. The good news is Although I look at all kinds of commentaries to get scholars' opinions about this stuff, the good news is the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Other books of the Bible confirm it all fits together because although it's 66 books written by 40 different authors on three continents in three languages uh, over 1,500 years, with all that being said, it's one Book written by the Holy Spirit, so you would expect it all to fit together like a hand in a glove, and it does. So I just wanted to say that you're going to see a lot of weird symbolism and beasts and what have you. Um, don't feel bad if you don't understand everything. I don't think I understand everything. And Daniel, you're going to see in chapter seven, is asking, "Wait, what?" You know, he can't get it either. Anyway, the other point to make is God is 100% right when he predicts stuff. Not 99, not 95, 100%. We'll talk about that later. Say amen so I know you're awake. Beautiful. All right, that's the backstory. Let's pick it up in chapter six. Um, In chapter six, um, Babylon has been taken over by the Medo-Persian second empire in that statue of the silver, remember that? Uh, The Medo-Persian empire and um, so let's see. Daniel has come through the lion's den. We won't review all of that, but that's just such an amazing uh, story. Um, Daniel, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, King Darius or Darius, some people call it, verse 25. He's so impressed that Daniel was protected in the lion's den, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, May you prosper greatly, verse 25 says. Verse 26, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end He rescues and he saves, verse 27 says. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. We covered that briefly last week and we said, it sure sounds like he got religion. He understands. He's saved. And I think, and most of the commentators I read said, he does understand he gets it and he's not saved. He said, why is that? Because everybody must look at verse um, 26. Everybody must fear and reverence who? The God of Daniel, his God, not the God of Darius. It's not my God. You have to have a personal relationship with God to understand everything. That's head knowledge. We've said in this Bible before, you know, if you know me, you know, I love acronyms. Okay. So one thing about salvation that you need is K-A-T, the wrong way to spell cat. That makes it easy to remember. Number one is the K and he's got the K, which is knowledge. You have to have a basic understanding who God is, who Jesus is. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Who was he? I have no idea. That person needs to at least have a basic idea of who Jesus was, what he did, and why there was a need for that, the cross, the resurrection. K for knowledge. A for agreement or assent. Meaning what? It's one thing to know, but you have to agree that it's true. He's got the A. He agrees that it's true. The T, K-A-T, is for trust. You have to be trusting in that Christ's sacrifice, and nothing else. He's got the K and the A, not the T. A lot of people have that. It's up here. I believe it's true. Are you putting all your trust in him and obeying him and living? No. Anyway, verse 28, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Verse, uh, sorry, we're going to go to chapter 7 now, and I've got a fairly Good size introduction. I'm going to try to highlight things instead of giving you the big long uh, introduction. Most scholars think this is chapter seven, the most comprehensive prophecy of the history of the world anywhere in the Bible, in encapsulated form with a focus on the area around Israel. Okay, you got to keep that in mind. Uh, I'll explain that as we go. We talked about it's going to be chapter two revisited, but it's going to look different because we're going to see God's view of the kingdoms of the earth. I already explained that the first half of Daniel is a story basically about Daniel. This is all prophecy from here on out, just about all. Um, Those uh, the let's see, should we look briefly at chapter two? No, not yet. Um, But they were in the in the previous story, they were. It was all parts of one statue, the statue being Gentile or world government. From a world standpoint, it all looks so awesome. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, strong, and then iron and clay. And then to see it all destroyed by the rock, which is Christ at his second coming, is a little shocking for Nebuchadnezzar. You remember that in chapter two. Um, uh, uh, I said a minute ago and Deuteronomy 18 talks about this. A prophet of God had to be 100% accurate. If you said, I'm a prophet, thus saith the Lord, and you said 30 things and 29 came true, and one didn't, anybody know what was the penalty? Stoning. False prophet. They would stone you. Some of you that are old folks like me may remember this name from the 1960s. Do you ever, have you ever heard of a lady named Jean, Jean Dixon? Anybody, raise your hand? Okay, a lot of you. Jean Dixon was touted as a kind of a fortune teller, like she could see the future. And she got a few things right, okay? Just like a clock that's broken, old school wind-up clock. Even if it's broken, it says 420 twice a day. (laughs) That's right, amen. Jean Dixon um, was on the cover of magazines and on TV shows. And let me just give you a little sampling. Um, In 1964, she predicted that the war in Vietnam would be over in 1965, (laughs) wrong. In 72, it was still going, I know, because I almost got drafted. In 1958, she predicted that Red China and the US would declare war against each other. Been a long time, they never have. 1964, she predicted that Walter Ruther would be a candidate for president. How many have heard of Walter Ruther? Wow, I've never heard of him. You've heard of him? Yeah, he was in some kind of labor or some kind of, yeah. Oh, Labor Party or something? Mm -hmm she predicted he'd be a candidate for president. Well, was he? No. Good thing she's not in Israel because guess what would have happened, right? She would have got stoned. Um, not the way in the 60s stone, the other way. Um, the Bible went. 1968, she predicted that Russia would be the first nation to put a man on the moon. Wrong. I could go on, there's a million of these. God never gets it wrong. Not because he's a good guesser, but because God is in a dimension far above ours. We live in three dimensions, right? Uh, width, le- length, width, and depth. Three dimensions. The fourth dimension is anybody know? Time. God has to be outside of time. He sees everything like one parade, all of history. It's no sweat for him to predict the future, but he's not a casual observer. By that, I mean it's not a mechanical universe. You ever heard that term? Mechanical universe is the idea that, yeah, there's a God. I mean, um, Thomas Jefferson was kind of a mechanical universe guy. He was what's called a theist. A theist says, yeah, there's a God, and yeah, he made everything, but he sort of wound the watch and stepped away. He's not involved in the government. He's not involved in her life or mine or his. He's off somewhere, and maybe he'll be back someday. Maybe he won't. Mechanical universe. Listen, God is outside of time, he sees all of history, but in Daniel, this is the main message, he controls all of history. He raises up rulers and says, that's enough for you, you're out, and the next one comes in. Um, Let's see, I think we're ready to dive in. It's a three-page intro, I really apologize. Last thing to remember, because people always wanna know, when will the kingdom of Christ actually start meaning the second coming where he establishes his kingdom on earth rights all the wrongs judges the sin rewards faith blesses us we reign and rule with him when okay one thing that you learn about the timing in daniel is the kingdom of christ comes listen after the kingdoms of this world that are going to be laid out It's not during, between, it's after. In fact, he comes to crush the kingdoms of this world because they're not good. Um, Let's dive in. You still awake? Amen. Verse one, chapter seven. In the first year of, of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed He wrote down the substance of his dream. Okay, pause. We've been going along historically, remember chapters one through six. In chapter six, he's late eighties, early nineties. He's a very old man, okay? He is, in when Belshazzar is king, what we're talking about time-wise is this, this is in a way a flashback between chapter four and chapter five. So he's in his sixties when this is going on. Just wanted to throw that in at no extra charge. Uh, Verse, so he's having visions, dreams, two different things. It's the main two ways in the Old Testament God revealed his will to the prophets. Either in a dream, you're asleep, or a vision, you're awake or in a semi-ecstatic state in some way or another. This this is dreams and at a dream and visions as he's lying in bed. You're going to see that Daniel, you may think, I wish I was a prophet. I wish I could see that kind of stuff. Listen, the prophets were, some of you are making faces. The prophets are, were persecuted. Many of them were killed. The prophets agonized over this stuff. You're going to see Daniel greatly troubled by what he's seen. It's, the job of prophet was not that great, believe me. Daniel said, verse 2, in my vision at night, or night vision, I looked, and there before me were, four, were the four winds of heaven, Churning up the great sea. Okay, a couple things here. So he's seeing a vision before him, and the vision relates to what will be happening in the future on planet Earth. With me so far? Four winds. Okay, first of all, the number four is associated with the earth in the Bible. There are four seasons, four directions north, south, east, west, kind of thing. Um, four people in the Beatles. Okay, that had nothing to do with it. Never mind. Anyway, four winds, four directions. The four winds in the Bible, winds are often God bringing judgment on the earth. Okay, now the four winds of heaven, notice these aren't earthly winds. He's churning up the great sea. You say, what's the great sea? Okay, there are four seas, S-E-A-S, mentioned in the Bible. The Dead Sea and the Red Sea, that's easy because they rhyme and um, that's not what's meant here. Then there's the Sea of Galilee, which is basically a lake. It's not even that big of a lake, right? Like Lake Tahoe is way bigger than the Sea of Galilee. The The other sea that's mentioned and all of this stuff goes all around that sea and it's by far the biggest one is the Mediterranean Sea. So in a sense, it's stuff around the Mediterranean Sea. However, in the Bible, the sea, and this is spelled out in the book of Revelation, right around chapter 17, the sea is as symbolic of the peoples of the world in turmoil, the governments, Gentiles, man ruling himself, if you will. We just keep thinking there's going to be some great leader that's going to come along that's really going to be good. The problem with human leaders is they're human. Therefore, they're sinners. Therefore, they're imperfect, right? All of them. There's been no leader that's been perfect, but there's one coming, right? The return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, let's see. So um, there's great turmoil. It's the whole earth is in turmoil he's seeing because there's always wars, rumors of wars, sickness, disease, danger, people stealing and what have you, sin. That's the way it's been ever since Adam and Eve. Verse 3, four great Beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Okay, now when you see beasts, you know, beauty and the beast kind of thing, some people think of beasts as being, oh, you mean like animals, okay? None of these are animals. They share characteristics with animals, and that's the best way you can describe him, okay? Ever see the movie Raging Bull? It doesn't mean the guy was a bull. He had characteristics like a bull, Okay. These are four, the word monsters actually is better. These are freakishly powerful kingdoms, these four great beasts. Verse three, four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Doesn't mean they rose out of the ocean with scuba gear on, it means that they rose out of the turmoil of the Gentile nations. Remember that there are different forms of government on planet Earth. There's a monarchy where there's, I'm the king, you're my subjects, I rule uh, autonomously, I'm sovereign. There's democracies, there's all kinds of dictatorships, communism, socialism, we could go on and on with all all the, uh, the world governments that are possible, right? We have a democratic republic in the United States. It's a great form of government right? But the best form of government, Israel had it, and only for a short time. And that's a, not a democracy, a theocracy. Theo, meaning God, where God rules. Well, we can't see God. We can't hear him. How is that going to happen? When Christ returns, we'll have a theocracy. How long will the kingdom last? Forever, right? Awesome. Okay, so there's four great beasts, and the beasts represent four world kingdoms just like in the statue that to refresh your memory the head of gold was the babylonian empire but it was also he's told nebuchadnezzar himself the silver um, upper part of the body and the arms was the medo persian two arms media and persia Um, the next one was the bronze kind of the torso was the greek empire we said when we studied this, the statue, known for their bronze uh, armor. Um, Let's see, then the iron legs were strong and what have you. That was the Roman Empire. Keep in mind he's predicting this before it happens. Um, And then lastly, there's a, a, a strange one that is the feet, which is iron mixed with clay or pottery material. Very strange very fragile, the weakest of them. We said that the empires go down in value. Gold is worth more than silver, which is worth more than bronze, which is worth more than iron, et cetera. Um, just reviewing, that'll become clear. So now he's gonna describe these four great beasts, which are four kingdoms coming up out of the sea. They're like some animals, we'll see. Um, and they're gonna be the same ones, Babylonia and then Mer- uh, Medo-Persia and then Greece, and then Rome. The fifth one is the one that's going to be the oddest one. We'll talk about that as we get there. Let's see, verse four. The first, first what? The first beast, the first kingdom, was like a lion. It had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being. And the mind of a human was given to it. Okay, you say, well, is that Babylon? It is, okay? Just as gold is the most expensive metal of the metals in the statue of these animals, the lion, we always say, is the king of the jungle, right? The most feared animal. The first one, it was like a lion, except it's a lion with wings of an eagle. Very strange thing. In that part of the world, it was common to combine characteristics of two animals to make sort of a conglomerate or a hybrid of uh, several animals to make a point. In archeology span in Iraq, because Babylon was in Iraq, not far from Baghdad, you may know, they've uncovered where the palace was, where the gates to the palace was, and the gates to the city of Babylon were, and they were guarded, both the palace and the city, at the gates by these huge structures which were lions with eagles' wings. Lion, king of the jungle. Eagles, sort of the king of the birds, right? So the first one's like a lion and had wings of an eagle. The Babylonian empire took over uh, the world fairly quickly, not as quickly as a future one, we'll sh- I'll show you, empire, but pretty quickly. The eagle indicates speed. But notice the wings, I watched until its wings were torn off, And then it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. You say, now what's that? Do you remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar? He learns his lesson, kind of, remember, with Daniel, and he is... Uh, has another dream. Do you remember the dream about the tree? This grandiose tree with just spreads and covers the whole earth and makes fruit for everyone. And in his dream, he sees that the order is given to cut the tree down and only leave the stump. Do you remember that? And Daniel says, I'll tell you what that means. You're the tree, your kingdom, but you're too prideful. So God's going to cut you down to just being a stump. You'll still exist, but if you don't repent and humble yourself, you're going to be, become basically like an ox, like a cow. You're going to mentally lose it and be outside for seven years eating grass, unable to speak, living outside, big, long fingernails, hair like feathers of an remember, eagle. But eventually, after seven years, you remember that story, Nebuchadnezzar repents and looks up to heaven, that's all he can do, thinks he's a beast, and he ends up proclaiming and understanding that the God of Israel is the real God, and it's his God, he is saved, not Darius in the last chapter, so what's going on here, the lion beast, uh, verse 4, its wings were torn off, It was greatly, he was greatly humbled, but then it was, he was eventually lifted from the ground so that he stood on two feet like a human being. And right out of chapter two, it says he received the mind of a human being again, was given. So the first kingdom, weird beast, is the Babylonian kingdom. If you lived in Babylon during the Babylonian kingdom, you would think just as you would during the Greek kingdom or the Medo-Persian or the Roman kingdom, our kingdom is invincible. No one will ever take over first place. We have the best army. We have the most money. We have an impenetrable fortress. And each of them came and went, right? God says, enough time for you. Verse 5. And there was before me a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, And had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth it was told get up and eat your fill of flesh okay notice this is not a bear it's like a bear a bear is not as mighty as a lion it's a little slower more lumbering this is the Medo-Persian empire the Medes and the Persians kind of formed a unified empire But if you know anything about history, we talked about it a few chapters ago, the Persians dominated the Medes. That's why the bear is raised up on one of its sides. That's the Persian side. The Medes really were second played second fiddle to the Persians raised up on one of its side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. Listen, the Medo-Persian empire was ruthless. They took over areas and killed people en masse by the thousands. Okay, what are the three um, ribs? Well, the main three kingdoms that the Medo-Persians took over were um, the Babylonian kingdom. We saw that, remember a couple chapters ago? That's one. What's the second rib? Egypt, and the third is a kingdom called Lydia which today, if you had a map I could show you, it's most of modern Turkey, okay? That's the three ribs. This can, uh, correlates with that um, statue that we saw, gold, um, Babylon, silver, Medo-Persia. Now that we're onto the bear, which is the bronze, uh, and a second is going to be the Greek kingdom, watch. Um, after that, verse six, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings, like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. This is the Greek empire that came next. Um, the bronze in the statue. Okay. Looked like a leopard. You know much about leopards? A leopard would not beat a lion. Notice that they're decreasing in their ferocity, ferociousness, is that a word? A leopard, though, is very fast. Think panther, think cheetah kind of thing. How much faster could he be if he had four wings? Imagine that. Okay, so this is God predicting a future kingdom. The Greek empire is the leopard. Alexander the Great. You ever heard of him? This is a pretty amazing thing. He starts his career at 21 years old. In 12 years, by the time he's 33, he takes over the whole known world faster than any other kingdom ever has. With me so far? Leopard with the wings. Um, why four wings? Um speed, but why four heads? This beast had four heads. It was given authority to rule. Okay. Alexander the Great, like many leaders, the fame went to his head. Okay. Very prideful, very lustful. At the age of 33, he's conquered the whole world. A few years later, he died in his 30s in a drunken stupor at an orgy. Okay. It's thought that he drowned in his own vomit, okay? But he's a great ruler, is he? Do you see what I mean? But it was the bronze kingdom, it was so awesome, was it? World leaders come and they go. Okay, but what about the four heads? Well, what happened to the Greek empire after Alexander the Great dies suddenly? Four generals Each took a portion of the kingdom. What a lucky guess God made here! You think so? Um, In my notes, somewhere I have it. um, The four generals, Cassander, I'm going to butcher these names, Seleucus, Ptolemy, and Lysimachus. That's probably not even close. Anybody have a child named Lysimachus here? Um, They each get a territory. Some go north, some south. There's the four heads given authority to rule, but it's never as strong without Alexander the Great, and eventually the Greek kingdom falls to the fourth kingdom. Verse seven, after that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had 10 horns. Did you notice anything missing? There's no, it was like a leopard. It was like a lion. It was like a bear. There's no animal there. It's just a a monster. He doesn't even know what to compare it to. He says it's terrifying and frightening and very powerful. Do you see that in the middle of verse 7? Large iron teeth. Remember the iron legs of the statue was the Roman Empire. By the way, each of these rule in succession right after one another, just the way God predicts. Also, the king of of the Babylonian empire, Nebuchadnezzar, was the strongest in terms of he ruled by himself. There was no Congress, no House of Representatives, no assistants, no four generals, he was the guy. That's why he's the head of gold. You with me? As the the gold, silver, bronze, iron, less valuable for the kingdoms, although they are less unified in the power, they have longer reigns. Most of the others reign for around, uh, Babylon doesn't even last 100 years, the others around 200 years. Rome lasts hundreds and hundreds of years. It ends in around the 400-500 AD time, but there were still pockets of Roman control all the way into the 1100s. It's the longest one by far. Rome was the most brutal. You might know that crucifixion was not invented by the Romans. It was invented by the Persians. The Romans made it more brutal, okay? The Persians would just hang you up there and leave, and you could live six, three, eight, twelve days, you know. Um, The Romans would whip you and beat you first so that you were already close to death, hang you up there as a way of saying you go against our government. Look what's going to happen to you. They would always crucify in public places where you'd walk by and go, "Oh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna salute every time I see a Roman soldier." The Romans, though, were extremely brutal in the way they took over. The Roman government lasts the longest and has a huge area, but the power is not consolidated. It kind of was shared, kind of thing, partly with the things that we have in our society, a Congress kind of a thing. Um, Let's see. 241 BC is when uh, Rome starts with the occupation of a little island off Italy called Sicily, oddly enough. Um, Eventually it expands to the whole world, Western Europe, Britain, Gaul, Spain, Western Asia, as far as the Persian Gulf um, and into Africa. It, It ends, like I said, in 410, but it goes all the way to, I'm sorry, I said 1100. It's the 1400s it lasts. So um, we already talked about that. Uh, so at, su- at one point, not yet, but we're going to go to Revelation 13. Don't turn there now. I saw you. Don't <laughs> but we will go there because I want you to see the parallel. Not for what we've seen so far, but for what we're about to see. I'm just giving you a little heads up. So the Roman Empire goes almost 1,500 years. But there's a weird thing here. And it's at the end of verse 7, almost like an afterthought. It was different from all the former beasts. And it had 10 horns. Hmm. That's interesting. Haven't had the horns thing yet. And it had 10 horns. In the statue, do you remember? The Roman Empire was the two legs of iron but there was um, a sort of a fifth kingdom that was the feet, you remember? Iron mixed with clay. And the feet have how many toes? Those of you math majors, very good. 10 toes, 10 horns. Horns in the Bible are symbolic of power, either of an empire or of a ruler, okay? is said to be a horn. You're gonna see here, it's mostly the second one, a ruler. Um, Okay, so it has 10 horns. So you can look through Roman history, go back in the history books and look and try to find 10 horns, 10 horns, and you're not going to find it. Okay, Um, so most people think that the fifth kingdom, the feet of the statue, or the 10 horns part of this kingdom is still future, even today. What do you mean? I mean, there's coming another world government that is going to be sort of, loosely I'm saying this, a revival of the Roman Empire. It doesn't have to be centered in Rome. It may not be called the Roman Empire, but it'll involve the same area probably and the same nations. In the 1980s, people were really getting excited, Christian people, because the European common market had eight nations, and then nine, and then 10 nations. So there it is, is it? Currently, the European common market, I believe, has 27 nations. So is that it? Not yet. Right? They're not ruling anything. that Europe isn't really ruling, right? Taking over the world, that part of the world, the Middle East, the Persian Gulf, Africa, not really. But in some way, there'll be 10 leaders that sort of come together and unify as one government, okay? This government is going to be the government that the Antichrist, how many have heard that term, uses and... He takes it over. Kind of comes out of nowhere. I'll show you that. He's in this chapter, whether you noticed or not. Okay. It had 10 horns. Look at verse 8. Daniel zooms in on the horns with his camera. While I was thinking about the horns there came before me, uh, there before me, sorry, was another horn, a little one. Okay. Kind of insignificant. No big deal. So now we've got 10 and one is 11. Still with me? Which came up among them. What's them? The other 10. So now this beast with 10 horns, there's a little, a little, kind of a cute little horn. No big deal. Look out. That's all I can say. This whole, let's see, which came up among them and three, I'm still in verse eight, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. Somehow, three of the nations, three of those leaders get bumped out of the way by this little horn, the Antichrist. Little meaning he seems like so insignificant and kind of nice and shouldn't be a problem. It's a big problem. Um, um, You know what I forgot to mention earlier? Let me just parenthesis here. When you're teaching prophecy, okay, or when you're teaching the book of Revelation, especially. If you're honest, you never teach and say, this is definitely what what it means. Because I read commentary after commentary. I listen to sermons. And if you're honest, I've taught Revelation twice so far. Okay. And if you read the notes, I have the notes, you'll read that it says, Joe says, it could mean this, but there's a lot of scholars that think it means this. And there's four or five that think this. And there's even this possibility. Well, which is it? Sometimes you can't know for sure until here it is, right? What happened with the Jews? What do you mean? I mean, they had over 300 predictions about a coming figure called the Messiah, right? And he showed up and it went right over most of their heads. They missed it. Hello, born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, abandoned by his followers. They pierced his hands and his feet hello, who do you think it is? Hmm, They missed it, okay? What's interesting about all those prophecies are they all came true literally, right? I can imagine the Jewish scholars going, they pierced his hands and his feet. Now, what could that mean? Could that be symbolic of, no, they pierced his hands and his feet, right? Born in Bethlehem. No. Born of a virgin. Okay, that can't mean a virgin, obviously. So that's symbolic for, no, he was born of a virgin, right? What's your point, Joe? God doesn't kid around with this stuff. Maybe we, or at least I, am not smart enough to figure it all out. But using the other scriptures, you can get pretty close, I believe. Um, But I'm fully ready to get to heaven someday and have God go to me. You were way off on these 46 (laughs) things, right? Or 900 things, right? And I'm going to be like, I'm so sorry. I did my best, right? Okay, let's keep rolling. So back to the beasts. Um, Okay, so here's this little horn. Three of the first horns are uprooted before it. I'm still in verse eight. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Okay, just a braggart, just a big mouth of a guy. It turns out the Antichrist is not only a big mouth, but he is a political genius. I'm going to show you. He's a military genius. He's a genius of oral, oral, being able to give speeches that inspire and, and make everybody think, isn't this wonderful? He's finally here, the leader we've been waiting for. You won't think that. I won't think that, you have the Holy Spirit, right? And so do I, if you're a believer. And so something inside you is gonna go, oh, this isn't good. And your friends that aren't believers are gonna think, you don't like him, this guy, he's the greatest. The Antichrist is able to bring total peace to the Middle East, making a, uh, a uh, contract with uh, Jews. That's chapter nine, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Let's take another little small bite. So the eyes of a human being, meaning he's only human, but eyes in the Bible often mean um, insight or great wisdom. Uh, Very smart individual. And the big mouth that spoke boastfully.